our risen Savior. If you can recite the first half of John 14, 6, please stand. John 14, 6, we have Jesus speaking. That's okay. I don't like to be caught off the carpet like that as well, but that's fine. We have Jesus speaking, and Jesus says, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, just a few seconds, we're headed for Colossians, but just think about this verse for a little bit. Again, I repeat, Jesus speaking, he said, he is the way. I think it's safe this morning, I think so, to say that each one here this morning will use a GPS to find directions to a certain place they are going, obviously, if they do not know where, where to get, uh, not been there before. You enter the address, or you click on the place where you wish to go, and you get directions, as clear as can be, and the exact time that you're going to arrive. So what we have is clear directions at our fingertips. In Poland, if we back up to there a little bit, we did a lot of walking, and we were touring in town, and our, our guide, he would put in where we're going to go. He said, well, we got a so many minute walk to, uh, to our location. We said, well, let's go. And away we went and got there on time. Most times it would tell you, uh, depends where you're going, which train to take, where to get on, where to get off, bus and so on. Just clear directions. And we like that in life. We know exactly where we're going. We know what time we're going to get there. And we can plan accordingly. Now I go back to John 14, 6. Jesus said he is the way. What he does is he, he provides clear directions around the pitfalls in life, and safely on to our home in heaven. He is the way. He said he's the truth. And this fact here is reassuring. Not only do we like to have directions to where we are going, we also, if you're like me, we like to be told the truth. We like the truth. I don't think there's anyone here this morning that would say, I'm okay with an untruth. No, we like the truth. Jesus said he is the truth. So think about it a little bit. Back up. He's the way. So we, when we're with him, we got clear direction. He's the truth. No, no deception here. Only absolute truth. And that's what we have in Christ. He also said to you and I, he said, you know, I'm the life. Jesus says he is the life. You know, the, the, death, the death of a loved one is extremely hard, even when they were born-again believers and children of God. But how sad it is when, it, when an unbeliever dies. Because why? Eternity is forever. But back up to John 14, 6, Jesus said, you know what? I'm the life. Yes, we may die physically unless Christ returns before that time arrives, but he is promising eternal life for who? For all who believe. So we have the way and the truth, but he's also saying, I'm able to provide life, life with Jesus Christ, a place where there is no darkness, rather a place of light and life, no death, no tears, no sorrow, no fear. So we think a little bit about Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The second half of of that verse, I'm sure you could quote for me now, but Jesus said, let me repeat, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Then he tells us very clearly and very kindly, he said, no one comes unto the Father but by me. Now just stop and ponder that for a second. Here we have some more uh, profound truth. So for all who are, are seeking the way and searching for truth and with a desire to live eternally with Jesus Christ, we have that he is our answer. 
Then he makes the point clear that, brothers and sisters, no one is going to enter heaven without me. No one, not a single human being, no exclusions. This includes a billionaire in a fancy house and a poor beggar on the street. No one is going to get through, through to Jesus without him. No one will gain access to the glories of heaven unless they go directly through Jesus Christ. A couple years ago, we called these keys. This morning, we call these fobs. This is a, a fob for the car that we drove to church this morning. Uh, the doors are locked. That happened a couple years ago when people were going through the doors currently anymore. We lock our doors. Our car is parked over here on my right, and the doors are locked. So if you want to drive my car, you will need this gadget. If you don't have this, you'll get there. You won't enter the door, enter the car, and neither will you start it. You will get absolutely nowhere without this. Along with that, think about this. Heaven is a place prepared for who? The children of God. Heaven is real. Heaven is waiting for those whosoever will. But unless you go to Jesus Christ and accept him as your personal savior, and believe that he is the son of God, you will never see the glories of heaven and the streets of gold. Jesus is the key to heaven. This is a a small little gadget that will get you in my car, which you can have later on, but Jesus is the one who will get you into heaven. Unless you go through him, you'll never get there. Or if you do get close, the door's going to be locked unless Jesus is with you. Why? Because he said no one went to heaven unless they have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So keep that in the back of your mind. Our title this morning is Dead and Risen with Christ. You're going to say, how can that be? We'll get there in a second. The title is Dead and Risen with Christ. You can go to Colossians 2. I'm going to like to read two verses at this time from Colossians 2. Verses 18 and 19. Paul writing to the church, Let no man beguile you of your reward in any voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment, ministered and knit together increases in the knowledge of God. Kind of a a mouthful, but what we see here is these false teachers needed to take a close look at John 14, 6. They were trying to say you can be saved through other means and other ways, but what they are promoting is false humility in verse 18, which is nothing short of pride. They're saying worshiping angels, teaching that we as men and women have no right or to approach God through Jesus Christ, but instead we need to go through the avenue of angels, which is false doctrine. Verse 19, not holding the head, or we could look at that as demoting the position of Jesus Christ, who is what this morning? The head of the body, which is the church. To hold fast the head means to look to the Lord for direction in life. It goes back, I had to tie in John 14 there because it made it kind of makes this, the, the message tie together. we got to look to Jesus Christ. Why? Well, we found out. He's the key. He's the answer. If you want to see heaven, you're going to go through Jesus Christ. And so verse 19, we're saying we're not going to look to Christ. We're going to look through other, other means, false doctrine. What we need to have at court is a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying we need a moment-by-moment dependent on him. Basically the exact opposite of what these false teachers 
we're teaching the church. Verse 19, we're joined to Christ. So when that happens, we become what? Uh, the joints and ligaments by which the church is supplied with energy and life. Dependence on Christ. Dependence on Christ. we got to go through Christ for life and also for energy here. So we are not uh, who we are because what we have accomplished in life. Verses 18 and 19 was saying, well, I can do this and this and I'm a good boy. Doesn't work that way. We're not who we are because of what we have accomplished in life, but rather we are who we are because of Christ. Again, our dependence is pointing to Jesus Christ. We go through life, and yes, we can accomplish some great things, but when it comes to our spiritual side of things and where we're headed for, we have no continuing city here, our Sunday school lesson, but seek one to come. We're looking forward to eternity. So we are who we are because of Christ, and we look to him and rely on him for everything. So remember the instructions that Jesus gave us. If we want to follow him, what's one of the first steps? Deny self. You want to be great in the eyes of the Lord? Deny self. And then we, once we get self out of the way, we're able to rely on him for wisdom and strength and direction in life. And in case we didn't get it, I'll say it this way. Jesus Christ is our everything and our all. Without him, we are as nothing. We need to go to him. We find satisfaction in Jesus Christ. Complete peace and comfort is found in Christ. And when we are in Christ, we will not be lured away by the doctrine of false teachers as we see here in these couple verses. So, point number one, dead with Christ. Let's read verses 20 through 23. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? Taste not, touch not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. So Paul drives a point home here in verse 20. Be aware of the false teachers. Do not fall for their deception. A Sunday school teacher this morning, Brother Joel, did a great job. He said, we are living in a time of a lot of false teachers and deception out there in our world today. Are we aware of what is going on? Be aware of them. Don't fall for their deception. Why? Because we are dead with Christ. Did you ever consider yourself being dead with Christ? And notice, dead with Christ, not dead from Christ. There's a big difference. By dying with Christ, the Colossians renounce sin and the worldly confidence, including the false idea that I can perform to earn my salvation. Being dead in trespasses and sin, as we read sometimes, is a location of darkness and despair. That's a location where people are spiritually lost, stumbling around, blinded, separated from Christ, and headed down the road to destruction. But dead with Christ is rest assured still with Christ, and there we are living free from that tight grip of sin. When we died with Christ, we are in Christ. We are free from these uh, traditions that the world has is ten that we need to follow. When you died with Christ, he set you free from the spiritual powers of the world. The songwriter penned this. We sing it sometimes. Dead to the world would I be, O Father. Dead unto sin, alive unto thee. So we need both. Dead to sin, alive to Christ. Then he continues and says it so well. Crucify all the earthly that is within me. 
empty me of sin and self. And that's exactly what we see here. We need to be emptied of sin and self and following Christ and living in, in, uh, in, in the light of Christ. We are dead with Christ. We are not bound. We are not tied to the rudiments of the world or basic principles of this world and its regulations. So we're free from the world's regulations. As followers of Christ, he's saying it's foolish to submit to such things which Christ has already conquered. When we became one with Christ and accepted Him as a personal Savior, we're dead to the world and the things the world has to offer. Now we're living in freedom. So why are we going to be tied to those things when we're alive in Christ? The church at Colossae was completely free in Christ. Just as sin had no hold on Christ, Romans 6, 9, so the Christians have been set free from the human requirements that people are trying to impose regarding spiritual matters. We do not have to look at verse 21. Oh, certain, certain meats. We're free from that. This is Old Testament law. We're living in the New Testament. It's well stated there back there in verse 20. You are dead with Christ. You are free from the uh, foolish rules and regulations. So if that's the case, if we are, why are we trying to live with those laws attached? Which say, here we have it, certain meats you can't handle, certain things you cannot do. But the underlying motive behind all this was a desire to achieve greater holiness and approval of God by specific practices which were fueled by pride. And that's why Paul is so adamant about this. Don't get caught up in this. You are free from this. Don't get tangled up with this. They appear to be noble deeds, but in reality, they do not honor God. It would be like us this morning preaching and teaching New Testament letter, then saying, oh, by the way, just please don't forget, you still need to observe the Old Testament law. And you would say, well, that's foolishness. Amen. It is. And that's what Paul is telling us here. Christ fulfilled the law. We are saved how? By grace through faith. Not by something we can do, in our own, we can do or attain, but by the grace of God. And as we saw earlier, Jesus said, no man cometh from the Father but through him. We're not saved by ritual. We're saved by grace through faith. So that these false teachers were teaching foolishness with the intent to promote themselves. Be careful with those false teachers. They all, most of them try to promote themselves. While the Christian's chief goal in life, what is your chief goal in life as a Christian? It should be to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. And that will be on a Sunday morning and throughout all the week. Does your life exalt Jesus Christ? Does your life exalt the person of Jesus Christ? Real joy comes through embracing the truth. Real joy comes through embracing the truth. And then go back to John 14, 6. Who is the truth? Jesus said, he is the truth. Is your life embracing the Lord Jesus Christ? The Christian will believe that God's way is best. Peace, joy, happiness come from what? Come from seeking to conform our lives to the image of Jesus Christ. We became a Christian, and that's, we've also said, now we're a little Christ. We're mirroring his image. We're following his footsteps. We're conforming into the person of. So each day, are you closer to the image of Christ than what you were last Sunday? And it goes on and on and on as we go on through our journey of life. Are you seeking to become more and more like Christ? It's out with this old and with the darkness and with sin and despair and in with a new life in Jesus Christ. 
in these verses 20, uh, 21, 22, and 23, we see pride was the underlying motive, but to the born-again child of God, our goal and desire is to be a clear reflection of our master. A clear reflection of our master. Well, at work I can't because, no. Are you a clear reflection of your master? The outward conduct of a genuine Christian is to be motivated by an ongoing consciousness and our connection with Christ. And our daily life is to be aimed more and more at conforming to his image. We are called to be different. Sometimes taking a little bit of, you wince at the thought, but you and I are called to be different. It has been said before, but worth repeating, can people see Jesus when they look at you? Are we dead with Christ? Your business uh, ethics, your, your work ethic, your, your driving habits, or your driving skills, and so on and so forth. I think it comes down a little bit harder on our brothers. The world can see, uh, can see our sisters when they, when they see the headship veiling, but to fathers this morning and men here this morning, can people see that you have met the Lord? We, we looked at, at a few keys this morning, and uh, first we saw you know, the keys to our vehicles if you want to lock the door. Then we saw Jesus is the key, and I'm going to take a short, uh, just a short by road. I'll be right back. We'll go, if you allow me, just go off the, uh, the side just for a little bit and look at one more key. And th- there's, there's another key. And the key that I'm going to look at this morning is fathers. Okay? Now, your fathers have your ears open. Fathers, every father here this morning is a key. Fathers, you hold, you are the key to the spiritual growth of your family and the church. Do you ever think, look at it that way? You are the key to that, what happened, to that growth. The spiritual f- growth of your family and the church here this morning is setting squarely on our shoulders. Explain. Well, some of you fathers may be sitting beside or some of you fathers may be holding a future Marystown pastor. Some of you may be holding or sitting beside a future deacon. And those children are looking at the fathers. And the father's level, level, spiritual level, is reflected in the children. Your level of commitment to your family and to the church today will directly impact the level of commitment your children will have as they grow up. What dad calls important, son and daughter will call important. So, Dad, what are you considering is important today in your life? I won't give examples. Just answer the question in your mind. Dad, you hold the key. Yeah, I'm holding a, a car key, and, and, uh, and Jesus is the key to salvation. But, Dad, you are the key to the spiritual growth of your family as well as the church. Okay, we're back on. We entered the Colossian Road again. Here we go. Let's move on. To summarize the second chapter here in Colossians, we see that Paul was, was deeply concerned about some dangers that were, were threatening the church. 
And his hope was that the believers' hearts would be encouraged and continue on with loyalty to Christ and, and, and would be knit together in love for each other as we looked at this morning in our Sunday school lesson, brotherly love. Are our hearts encouraged? Are we loyal to Christ? And are we knit together? Also, when we understand the mystery of God, uh, no further discoveries are needed. There's no reason for a supplement Christ, to supplement Christ. He is all sufficient. He is God, co-equal and co-eternal with the Father. And Jesus Christ is able to supply our needs. We need to look nowhere else for Jesus Christ is all we need. Dead and risen with Christ. A story I found, Donald Gray Barnhouse, along with a group of students, stood one night on a busy street corner in Philadelphia and stared intently towards the sky. One of them pointed up and said, it is so. Another one said, it is not. And after they made a few similar interchanges, soon uh, other people stopped to look up into the black sky, looking the same direction that Barnhouse and the students were looking. And before long, still others stopped to gaze into the sky. And after that, Barnhouse and his students quietly slipped away from the crowd and stood at a distance to watch what was taking place. The crowd was made up of more than a dozen people. Twenty minutes later, several people were still staring into the sky. A few people were leaning against a nearby building, looking up for something that was not there and never had been there. And Barnhouse uses his illustration to explain that those, I quote, those who adhere to the world religious and human philosophies are really looking in a direction in which there is absolutely nothing to satisfy and there are no answers to the questions we can ask about the deeper issues in life. Staring intently into the sky and there was absolutely nothing there. The Bible is the only book, he continues, in the entire world which has satisfactory answers to life's most important questions. And Jesus helped us in a great way back in John 14, 6, when he said, you know, he is the way. He is the truth and the life. And then he added, no man will come unto the Father but through him. We get to the end of this point, and I ask the question, are you dead with Christ and free from the chains of sin? Moving into the second point, risen with Christ. Let's read chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Colossians 3, 1. If ye then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is, your life, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory." Back in verse 20, we saw how we are dead with Christ. We are dead from sin and free from man-made laws and traditions. So we're dead with Christ. When we are, our location of living changes. We change from living under the power of darkness and evil to stepping into a new location of the kingdom of light in Christ Jesus. Dead with Christ, dead to self, free from sin, and living in victory. That's where we found ourselves. Now chapter 3, we see we are risen with Christ. Christ's death on the cross revealed his power over death, sin, hell, and the grave. Death came first, followed by victory. And the same is true for followers for us today. 
Step number one is to put sin, self, and darkness to death and then to rise to a new life in Christ. And many, to many, for many of us, this has happened in the past. You remember the day when Christ made a change in your life. And so looking at verse um, chapter 3, verse 1, those who are risen with Christ, what's going to happen? They'll be drawn to heavenly things. Our living condition changed back in verse 20, and now more changes are about to take place in our lives. Our focus will change. What we look at, no longer desiring things of darkness, but rather things which are above. If we jump ahead to verses 5 through 17, we're going to see we need to put off some things and put on other. Put off anything that hinders spiritual growth. Is there something in your life this morning that is hindering you from spiritual growth? Paul is saying, brothers and sisters, you need to put it off and so you can grow spiritually. Fathers, the spiritual growth of your family we talked about earlier. Is there something that's hindering spiritual growth? What's the answer? Yes, it's Jesus, and also it needs, you need to put that off. So our focus is going to change. Your character will change along with your attitude and your reputation. Like it or not, Leon has a reputation, and I hope it's different than what it was when I was a teenager. We won't go there. Praise the Lord. A new person. Are we growing in Christ? Your attitude's going to change. Your reputation's going to change. You are now a new person in Christ. We're no longer serving the master of sin and darkness, but we're serving the master of light and life. As we saw in Colossians 2, 6, and 7, as ye therefore have received Jesus Christ the Lord, what's going to change? So walk ye in him. How? Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. And does it stop there? No. Abounding therein with thanksgiving. Is that describing your life? Paul is urging us to remain centered on our identity and authority in Christ. When you get up in the morning, when you lay down at night, are you centered on Christ? Are you tr striving to live a life that pleases the Lord? A life of light. And I think one of the key points in these verses here is that being dead and risen with Christ is that through it all, guess where we are? We are with Christ. And I trust that's where you are at this morning. Are you living with Christ? We didn't make a drastic change in our life on our own, on our own strength and abilities, and then move on in this newfound strength on our own. No, we are with Christ, and He is with us. Verse 1, if. The word if is uh, used to express the things that have already happened in the past. It could say, since you're risen with Christ. That this has happened, past tense. Now, you're supposed to seek things that are above. When Christ died, believers died with him, and those who accept him will walk in a brand new life, and their old life is an event of the past. The Christian's life is to be a demonstrations, demonstration of Christ's preeminence. Christ, Jesus Christ is preeminent, which means he is first and first in everything. We're going back to the center. Is Christ first in everything in your life? Is he first in importance? Is he first in honor? First in exaltation? It, have you placed him on the highest place in our lives? Along with that, let's do, do a short reflection on Colossians 1 and 2. Back in chapter 1, we saw the truth about who Jesus Christ is. Remember verse 17, by him all things consist. He controls it all. Does he control your life? Does he control my life? Then in chapter 2, we defended truth against error. Now here in chapter 3, we are going to see how to demonstrate the Christ-like 
life? Are we a clear reflection, as I asked earlier, of Jesus Christ? Paul turns from doctrinal to practical. Correct doctrine must always cause us to spring into right living. So you heard this is how we're supposed to live. Does that change your life and spring you in to correct and right living? The Christian life is more than a system of beliefs. It is a quality of life. Has Christ changed your life? When Christ living is living within, our heart will transform us in our daily living. Matthew 12, 34, second part of the verse says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. No, I am not saying you can't talk about anything but heaven, but I will say out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. That is the truth. What is in your heart will come out. Is Christ living and dwelling there within? Living the Christian life requires discipline, and it requires effort along with human resolve. Plus, it takes personal determination to put aside some things and to cultivate others. You heard, you heard the illustration a long time ago. If you put a bird in a cage and don't feed him, he's going to die. If you put a bird in a cage and feed him, he's going to live. What are we feeding in our lives and what are we starving? What have we put to death and got rid of? What are, is there some things in our life which we don't want to talk about that are an event of the past? Are we living in the new life? Verse 3, or chapter 3, as we move on, uh, not today, but later on, we're going to uh, look at the need for good character. A good character. You read a couple of the next verses 5 through 17, and it says, brother and sister, get rid of this and introduce this. Get rid of that and do this. Don't do this anymore. Instead, do this. Keep your life full, but get rid of the darkness and bring in light. Back to chapter 3, verse 1, you are risen with Christ. Now that Christ is living within, I repeat, you will be different. He made a change in the way that you were living. Change in focus. What's we going to do? We're going to search, seek for, and strive for things which are above. Things that have eternal value. A lot of people out there today searching for things. Most times, temporary satisfaction. But the child of God will find fulfillment in the things that have eternal value. As a whole, the Mennonite community is careful with their finances. Looking to make wise investments. But Jesus said in Matthew 6.20, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. One of the best investments you could ever make. Are we striving for the things that are above? What are they? We've been given clear direction at the end of the verse. Strive for things that please the Lord. Things that will draw us closer to the heart of God. And you will know quickly if what you're doing or striving for draws you closer to God or takes you further away. Are we striving for things that draw us closer to the heart of God? Verse 2, we have a change of affection. Talk about our inward disposition. Let heavenly things fill your mind. Our thought, our focus and our thought life are to be geared towards the heart of God. Look at your life. Look at it from a mirror, look at it from a, however, look at it from God's perspective, from God's view. Are we doing things that draw us closer to the heart of God? It's kind of hard to skip, but I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. I think we need to be, look at the contrast in verse 2. We have things that are above and things that are on the earth. And the things that are on the earth could be described as trivial tools. Toys 
that sometimes, maybe too many times, grip our affection? What are you attached to? But I also like to point out here the need, there's a need for there's need for balance in life. Yes, we, we're here on this earth. We need to perform, uh, work and provide for our families. At the same time, our thoughts need to be on heaven. There's need for balance. But if Christ would return this afternoon, would he find you and I erring on the side of earthly or blessed that our focus is in heaven? So I ask, are you dead and risen with Christ? Another story that kind of drives a point home. The San Francisco Chronicle a number of years uh, reported a strange scene at a cemetery in the city. A young man had been killed in a motorcycle accident and was buried. That was not uncommon, but the fact that his Harley-Davidson motorcycle was buried with him was slightly kind of unusual. The sobbing mother explained, I quote, that motorcycle was his whole life. Now, when I'm going back to balance in life and where your focus is and what drives you, and what you'll talk about with your friends tomorrow afternoon and tomorrow, you know, what is your driving point? Is it your motorcycle, which I certainly hope not, but it, it's a real tragedy when one's whole life is wrapped up in a motorcycle. So I ask the question, is Christ your life? You know, some things, in li- uh, some things are not wrong in themselves, but the danger arises when we place those things whatever it may be, ahead of our commitment and dedication to the Lord. So let's live every day, every step of the way, with eternal values in view. Live every day as if it may be our last. Verse 3, we have a change of life. When you, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ. Your, your life is hidden with Christ, sheltered and protected from the evils of the world. So when we are dead with Christ, we're dead to earthly things. You're dead to the pull of those things that held your attention before you became a believer. Those, those affections and desires are gone. And now we remember we, a new life is we're consumed by the Lord. We're striving daily to get closer and closer to the heart of God. And I said all that to say, why? Why? Why are we different? Why are we striving to do all this? Look at verse 4. Why are we willing to deny self and allow the Lord to be our our master? Why? Verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Do we see the promise? We follow the Lord obediently today in our life here on this earth. We have something to look forward to. Death is not the end. Death is the beginning of the new life, of another life with Christ. Proper Christian living involves the elimination of past sins of the unsaved life and a development of righteous character within the new life. So it's a development of righteous character. Are you closer to the Lord today than what you were a week ago? And so on. Are we growing spiritually? For we are dead and risen with Christ. And because of that, may we be striving to conform more and more to the image of Christ. Brothers and sisters, press on, be faithful, be obedient, and set your affection on things above. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning just so grateful and thankful for your goodness to us and for the promises, Lord, that when we follow you faithfully, we can look forward to dwelling with you 
in eternity, in the glories of heaven, around the throne, praising you, walking and talking on streets of gold, being reunited with family who have gone on before. Lord, may we be found faithful. May we be dead with you and risen with you, dead from the things of this world, free from those and risen with you and seeking things which are above, where you are seated at the right hand of God. May our affection be set on things above. May we be laying up treasures in heaven and walking faithfully through this life, letting our light shine. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Demetrius, we have a song, please?